You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to what is probably the last episode of 2, 5, and 10 after what uh, <laughs> we witnessed in the first round there. Uh, I'm alive, just getting by. Ben and you? Yeah, I mean, last year was much worse for me uh, losing in a conference final than it was uh, this go around. I mean, it sucks losing to a division rival anytime in the playoffs for, you know, bragging rights. But basically, once game three came around and New Jersey got their legs on their own, and there was just a. The same issues all year that were hurting the Rangers popped up again. And then they had a complete no-show in Game 7. Like, that was an embarrassing performance by everybody not named Igor Shosturkin. It Like, once that buzzer sounded, it was like, all right, well, no more Rangers for the next few months. Like, it was like a weird, like, well, that's over, instead of being, like, disappointed. I mean, it, likewise on our end, I mean... Watching Game 7, the whole thing, even that day, I just never felt comfortable. Like It wasn't even like a confident, it was just, I never felt comfortable that whole day, and it was just like, I I don't think this ends good for us. And then we get to the overtime, and it's like, oh my god, like just, ugh. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you felt it as a fan, the guys in the locker room, all the pressure in the world was on the Bruins. Like, Florida, even if they lost Game 7, like, no one expected them to get there anyway. All the pressure was on Boston. They probably would have been better served playing on a road in Game 7. I agree. I, I mean, it's crazy to think that uh, one of the guys had posted this, and it said, uh, the Bruins have lost seven games at home all year. Three of them were in this series. Jesus. Like, that. that's crazy to think. Like, when Boston was up three games to one, and you and I were talking, I was like, yeah, we all figured. And then when they lost game five with that miscue with Olmark and everything, I was like, uh, I was like, they better end it in game six. Because I've seen this story before in baseball with the Yankees, when the Red Sox in 04, they won that first one. And as soon as you give somebody a little bit of life that nobody's expecting to win, it's always comes back to bite you. And I was like, you can't let them win game six. And when they won game six, I was like, oh boy, that's a lot of pressure for a game seven after the regular season you had and you're at home. Yeah, I mean, I watching this series, I had so many different thoughts and feels. And I, I can't believe certain Bruins fans just in general they because you scored a goal they thought you had a great game like yeah but if you don't score you suck yeah but it was like David Pasternak in game six had two beautiful power play goals but outside of that he was fucking awful he had like I counted myself three giveaways that I will now forever term Panarin plays where I was just like oh my god that was a very that was a brutal turnover Oh, by the way, and I, I call me crazy now, but now after watching the Rangers Devil series and when they zoom in on fucking Panarin, all I can see now on there, and I'll never call him Artemi Panarin again, and I'm strictly just going to call him Jack Harlow. That's all I see. <laughs> I just see Jack Harlow out on the ice there. Yeah, Jack Harlow is probably better on a puck than Artemi Panarin. Yeah, I just, oh, fuck, man. I mean, you guys had the same struggles we did, and, and it was painful at times to watch. Like, the, I think the biggest thing about this whole Bruin series, and, and, and hats off to Florida. I mean, the, the better team won. They brought it every night, their consistency. But our turnovers that we did to ourselves and, like, just everything that we did to ourselves is what cost us here. And to right. me, that's the craziest thing. It's like... We, we play fucking a whole year mistake-free. And yep. then we get here and we're churning pucks over left and right, which we'd never done before. Certain people, like, 
Hampus Lindholm this whole year would basically take the puck behind our net, skate it into the other end, have, you know, possession coming through the entry. He couldn't even get it to the red line to dump a puck in. Yeah. It was awful defensively. And Carlo was by far our best E guy, which, you know, hats off to Brandon. I'm not very uh, polite or, you know, nurturing to Brandon Carlo, but Brandon Carlo is by far our best E man the whole series. Yeah, the specifically in Game Seven because you know the eyes of the hockey world are watching it. Uh, the and and like you said, a lot of this is the game plan that Florida had and the type of play, style of play that they had ended up being a very good match a matchup for them against uh, the Bruins. But every and this is this is going to be like one well one of my criticisms when we really get into the Ranger series here. From games five through seven, the Panthers were playing the same stacked one two two and cutting off the sideboards uh mm-hmm. the the sideboards where you guys would always try and get it up to pass it to skate it in or Mark Shane skated it in whenever their line was on the ice and Florida was. And they basically highlighted this during the broadcast, but deflecting every puck, and there was no change in the breakout. Nope. It was tried over and over. It was almost like this worked so often in the regular season that it's gonna it's bound to work sooner or later. Yeah, from a standpoint of them not adjusting, there there was a couple of things here that. Montgomery, I, I think regular season was so comfortable with guys coming through that on the other end of things, he never really pulled the trigger on, on other things. And, and yeah. it was difficult to kind of watch because you're like the net, for example, like that to me was one of the biggest issues that oh, nice I saw. The rotation. Not sticking with the rotation, I think it ended up being a legitimate problem for them. Um, even if they went 2-1 instead of 1-1, I mean, you come out of Boston, it's tied at 1. You go down there, I thought Swayman should have got the start game 3 and or 4. Yeah. And it never happened. You know, we won game 3, and I think it was a confidence level, but... It was very obvious to see from game one. Olmark was very uncomfortable, like, the whole time. Like, positionally, he's a sound goalie, which he was. But going from side to side or having to get back up off the ice, like, you could see it slow, you know, grimacing in the face. And you're going, is it going to hurt us more with him being in or take him out? But that was the thing, then, even before game one, they were talking about like Olmark is just is questionable for game one. So yeah, it's not just like going this, into so it's it. a mid series mm-hmm. surprise. It was known beforehand. Yeah, I just think he was scared for whatever reason to pull the trigger to go to Swayman. And then this was the other thing. Now, why finally Swayman in game seven? After not playing for like eighteen days. <laughs> that that was my biggest thing. It's like if Swayman went out there and he lit a shit, laid a shitter in Game 7, I wouldn't blame the kid. Fucking, you haven't played in 18 days? You know, I think it was like a 13 or 14 day layoff game days for him. And you, you played pretty damn good. That, I agree. I don't put that on Swayman at all. But if he went out there and laid a shitter, I wouldn't put that on him either. Yeah. You see, I mean, you you did. But after the game, how broken up he was, he was like, I owe the guys one more save. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm just happy... On the other end, coming out, there were certain guys here who took it um, to heart. I mean, Swayman was one of them. Uh, Marchand brought up the Game 5 breakaway constantly, and he goes, that that was my chance, and I ruined it. And honestly, if there's another three seconds on the clock, I think he does his normal move where he goes there, fake shot, backhand roof, like past the glove. I I envision him doing that, but I think time was so much of the essence there. He didn't know what he, I don't even think he knew if that shot was going to count. If yeah, he was just it. trying to get it off, just trying to get it off. Yeah, and I don't series overall. Though. 
Oh, I, I Bertuzzi and Martian brought it every game. Yeah. Every night they were there. And that was one of my other things. I know I already started. We had the day, the day after, which would end up being your game seven day. But the way my mind works is, you know, the season's gone. I'm already transitioning to next year. <laughs> and I, uh, I had talked to another person who I feel me and him, when it comes to the Bruins, we're very much on the same page. And, and let me just pull up the text message right here because we were thinking the same thing. Um, Bertuzzi needs to come back and what you have to do, get rid of Taylor Hall. And I'm okay with that. I mean, for a guy, Taylor Hall, who was a previous MVP and X, Y, and Z game seven was an absolute fucking no show. No show. I mean, Taylor Hall has, once he had that MVP year in New Jersey, and then since that season onward, has basically developed into a power play role player. It's like the weirdest thing. Like he'll have little spurts here and there and Mm -hmm. he'll get like a seven game point streak and then he'll disappear and then he'll get for 10 games. Yeah. He'll pick up some points in a power play. But if he's, if he's not scoring, he's not doing shit and he doesn't score enough to be that type of player. I agree. And I mean, I also think can you f- going into it if you guys like, can't get rid of Hall, can you afford to bring a Bertuzzi? I'm assuming Bergeron. No, we we can't. It, even if they're out of the picture, um, we get hit with the bonus cap oh, from this right. year, the, from going over. So I mean, we're four and a half in the hole next year. Shit. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if Matt Grizzlick is traded over the summer. Just another guy who. Not a good series. I I thought he played a lot better in game seven, but for a guy who's making almost $4 million a year and been in this line, I mean, he played game seven in 2019 of the Stanley cup final here. Like this guy looked completely lost in the postseason. And then for another guy in Connor Clifton that we had all year who played relatively well throughout the season, comes in and I mean he's a turnover machine in game six. Fucking every time he touched the puck it ended up in the back of our net. Yeah. And he's UFA. And it was, he's UFA. He's not coming back. He's gone. I just uh I believe there's gonna be a lot of transition here with this Bruins team. Uh, like I said, I don't think you'll see Grizzlick. If we can trade away Hall and bring back Bertuzzi, I'd be thrilled. Um if Bergeron comes back. Big F. I, these are the way. These are the way I see the lines already. I got Marshan Bergeron, DeBrusque, Bertuzzi, Zaka, Pasternak, uh, Frederick Coyle, Wiesel is going to have to come up just because we're going to need entry level deals to be able to be under the cap. Yep. And then we'll have Lauko down there, and then we'll have to figure out the other two who are with them. Probably Beecher, so maybe Lauko, Beecher, and somebody else. Mason Lowry is going to have to come up and play. So I got Lowry and McAvoy, Lindholm and Carlo. Uh, Zaboral is going to play. And then on the other end, we're going to have to find like a depth 6-7-D guy. I mean, yeah, Mike Riley it, would just, be good. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he, he can't play in the NHL. That's his only problem. He's great <laughs> in the AHL. Um, but um, I also had in the postseason, well, now offseason for us, trading Linus Allmark. This is the highest you have for his ceiling for him. Now for you to have. Yes, and value is also higher. Exactly. So that is my, those are my thoughts. Um, Could I be 100% wrong here? Sure. But I'm just thinking if we're being being realistic and we're transitioning and now going somewhere else, what are we waiting for? Was there any word on... Like Olmark's condition after the series. <laughs> uh, so today in the locker room, when he was asked what his ailments were, he refused to disclose them and just said everyone's playing hurt. Yeah, I mean, I hate that answer. Like the se- the season is over, you can now say what's wrong with you. You're not earning any brownie points in the locker room right now. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean. I was expecting to hear that like his dick fell off the way that Kevin Weeks he sent out that tweet of it's a debilitating injury and we will never know 
you know, the pain that Linus Olmark was in. I mean, or if that's the case, then why like was that. he playing game five, six? I, I feel the same, but why have him in there the whole way if he's that fucked up? Yeah, like, I don't get it. And Bergeron playing with a ruptured disc, like, you know, I just went through having a pretty significant flare-up of my sciatica from Pitchner back in the day playing hockey, and I was debilitated. I can't imagine playing, even though he came in midway through the series, even one shift of playoff hockey in the NHL with a ruptured desk. Like, everybody knows it, how much of a fucking warrior that guy is. But goddamn, dude. Like, I, I also, I don't think he's coming back. I mean, just the reaction with Marchand being the last two off the ice after game seven, and he kind of, he did the Mo Rivera kind of crying into uh, Marchand's shoulder a little bit there. I think he knew that this was it. Part of it see, and, has and, been a disappointment, but I think he, he knows it's gone. That See, that's the only thing for me. That cannot be my last viewing of Patrice Bergeron in a Bruins jersey going out like that. Like a game seven loss like that. I, I just, I can't. Uh, the, I on mean, a personal level, <laughs> if he came up to me and told me he was retiring right now, I'd be like, you got one more year. You, you got one more. Just play one more game, score one more goal, get one more win, and then hang him up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I just, I can't watch that being the last of him. Yeah. I mean, and Krejci, I don't expect him back uh, at all. I think this is the big run. Like you said, there's a lot of turnover with U- UFAs. Um you know, guys that might have to get moved to create some cap space. I'm surprised your first goal wasn't trying to get rid of Coyle's cap hit instead of Hall's. <laughs> um, but, new year, new new target. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you guys aren't going to be obviously rebuilding, but I will have to wait and see what happens at the draft and a free agency. My thought when I was, you know, looking at, think about the Rangers and their offseason and then the Bruins, I was just, I got this feeling of there might be a, a point next year where, like, the Boston Bruins suffer the greatest point differential in terms of from one season to the next in the salary cap era. I, I would not be surprised. I, I had a question, and I, I was thinking about it earlier, and I'm going, beginning of the season. Yeah. Projection point for the Bruins between me, you, uh, 100% across the board of NHL analysts was the Bruins at best will be a wild card team. We go on to have the best season ever, and then we lose in the first round. Now, just with... Original predictions of being a cusp team, shouldn't we be like, I think we did pretty good considering. Yeah, I mean, nobody should be walking away from the season saying the Bruins, When I know when most fans say suck, they don't mean like they actually suck. They just mean like, what a fucking disappointment. But five years from now, when the sting of losing in the first round will have faded, outside of potentially wasting Bergeron's last year in the playoffs. The record book is going to say, like, who has the most wins in a single-season NHL history? The Boston Bruins. The most points, the Boston mm-hmm. Bruins. Like, yeah, you guys didn't get the cup to win it out. That seems to be a New England thing, uh, going back to the Patriots. Um, but, yeah, I, it's, it's disappointing. It's not a failure. A failure of a season is... I don't know what uh, what team. Let's say the Blue Jackets. They went in. Oh, good draw. Oh, it's gonna be a new turnaround for the franchise in Columbus lottery. That's a failure of a season. All right, you know, I'm just I'm just wondering. That's all. <laughs> the Rangers <laughs> just back up for them to them for a little bit. Like I said, the writing was on the wall, man. Like, game three, I know we recorded after that. I was like, I'm not that worried at all. Like, they still 
held New Jersey's offense down. They played their game. They just didn't get enough pucks on net against the rookie goaltender. When that, that happened again in game four, and they were like 0 for 9 on a power play in games three and four, I instantly knew. I was like, I recognize this team. This team's going to lose this series. <laughs> because this is the problem with the Rangers all year. They are terrible at five on five. They were, in terms of expected goals for and puck possession metrics, they were the 22nd best team in the league this year at five on five. They were 28th in zone entry because they don't have somebody outside of Fox who can carry the puck in without having a dump and chase and then lose the puck. And then when they have to take a faceoff, they were 29th in the league in faceoff percentage. And it would have been even worse if they didn't have Trocek, who was like 58% on a year. So when their power play dried up, I knew the series was over. And I, when it got the game six win and it got the game seven, I was like, well, you know, anything can happen. And this team, I, w- I kept falling back on a team from last year. I know most of the guys were there on a the team last year too, but where they always seem to be able to pull it out of their ass come back from 3-1 against Pittsburgh, all that shit. And then in the first 15 minutes, if it wasn't for Igor Shosturkin, it would have been 5-0 at the end of the first period. That's how much of a no-show the team had. And the fact that over the last five games of this series, Lindy Ruff outcoached Gerard Gallant at every turn. I know the big move was going to Schmid in goal, and that seemed to spark New Jersey. But I think a couple of things were New Jersey got their legs under him. And then he made a couple minor adjustments in terms of personnel. And then he changed their uh, plan of attack against the Rangers. And the Rangers had no answer in game three. Okay. The New Jersey adjusted. Rangers were caught off guard. Let's get back to it. Galat didn't change a fucking thing except to say after every loss, you know, we just got to play harder. We got to get more pucks on net. Oh, great. That's a lot of coaching. I could do that for free. And then <laughs> the only thing he changed was what he did all year when something didn't go right. Let me change the lines and hope that the guy's skill level sparked something instead of actually coaching. And when they brought in Gallant, I even said, he's not an X's and O's guy. He's a, I'm going to let my guys be there, be themselves. And he's a player's coach. And I had the assumption, just like I'm sure the Rangers did, we have the guys in a room that will thrive in that environment. Regular season, they did. And last year, they went on a surprise run to the Eastern Conference Final. And then the same thing happened against Tampa Bay. We won the first two games. We were high-flying. Tampa Bay and John Cooper adjusted, and we had no fucking answer. And we lost four straight. So... I mean, there are a lot of no-shows. The worst one is Panarin. Two assists in the entire series, no goals. Um, he led the first entire first round of the playoffs with ter- in turnovers. In seven games, he had 21 turnovers. Recorded turnovers. Like, fuck, dude. Like, even in game seven... First period, 0-0. He has to puck along the sideboards and is in the defensive zone near the top of the circle. He's getting checked into the glass and he has his back turned towards the ice and he does a no-look pass through the center of the ice. Intercepted. What the fuck are you doing, dude? So, I mean, Sabanajad scored his goal in game six. Kreider was Kreider. And he, to be honest, he was the only one that took responsibility for what happened last, last night. He said it was an embarrassing performance. He was on the ice for all four goals against, and he said, as a veteran leader on his team, I've got to be better than that. And that, that was in, inexcusable and a fucking piss-poor effort on my part. Everybody else, including Gerard Gallant, you know, this team didn't quit. We gave it all we had. If that's all you have, you shouldn't be in the playoffs. Like, that, that was pitiful. And it's a weird thing to have most of the same core in place that you had last year where we felt so good about it to now be in this situation. But to have that performance, I don't think that's a talent issue. I mean, it's definitely not a talent issue. You had fucking 
Tarasenko, Kane added to Panarin, Sabanajad, Kreider at the kid line. A Norris Trophy winner on the back end. Uh, the second or first best goalie in the world in terms of talent in net. And you get ousted in the first round. So it's definitely not a talent issue. It's all about mentality and coaching. And I don't know if it's something where the guy started tuning Glant out because that's been his MO. It's usually after three years, not two. Or if it was just, if the guys, if the skill level ain't carrying us, there's nothing else to carry you there. There's no way for us to figure out a way to counteract what is being done to us if, the, if Panarin or Fox or Mika are not going to save our ass and Igor is not going to. He had a 938 save percentage in the first round and we lost. Like, fucking ridiculous. So. Galant's probably, he should be fired. And, you know, we went from Quinn to Galant, and that's what I wanted. And we went up to the Eastern Conference Final his first year. He almost got fired in December. Apparently, Drury was very close to canning him in December when the Rangers were uh, 9-17-3. And then Truba had that helmet toss game, and we went on a run for the rest of the year. But everything that played this all year long happened again in the first round. And I think Jury's going to can him because apparently him and Gallant had their issues throughout the year and not seeing eye to eye on personnel decisions and lineup decisions and things like that. So I think Gallant is going to be shown a door. And in terms of the roster, it's very hard to change anything. You have six guys, I believe, uh, making at least $6 million a year. And all of them have no movement clauses in their contracts. Um, you know, a lot of people are calling for Panera to get moved. Who's first of all, he has a no trade clause. He loves New York. Why would he approve a trade? Second of all, who's going to take on three years and eleven point four million dollars a year, where we're not going to take any salary back? And third, for four straight years, he's given us ninety points. Where are we getting those points from? To replace him in a regular season. Yeah. Does he show up in the playoffs? No. Now you know you can't count him in the playoffs. So you got to build your roster around that. But you can't give up a 90-point player just because of that. So, Rangers are in kind of a bind here. Like, the Bruins are with the cap. They got to, you know, they have RFAs, Keontre Miller, who was brutal in the second half of the season in the first round. Uh, Lafreniere's RFA. They just gave Heedle the longer-term extension at a little over $4 million a year. There's talk that they're probably going to have to move Goodrow to be able to make some maneuvers in the offseason. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know where they go from here. Kane definitely did not work out. I'm so sick of this guy fucking coasting. Never going – there was – if I was able to record the games, I would send you a DVD – of all of the highlights of Kane deciding to not go after a loose puck battle along the boards and just turning away. Like it was infuriating when there was a puck and the, def- and the devil was going for it. He would just literally turn away and skate back towards the blue line and just give up the puck. Ugh. Like coasting on a back check. He had that nice goal in game two, but that was it. Otherwise, ever since we got him, he dude was literally just coasting. So the one thing I... I might be could be talked into with him is if he signs a one year deal and then gets hip surgery and he pulls a coocher off. <laughs> we put him on long term IR, bring him back for the playoffs, and then we have him for the playoffs and his cap hit doesn't count during the regular season. <laughs> I mean that, that would that's the most ideal situation. So I hope they can keep Tarasenko. He's gonna have to take a very team friendly deal if he wants to stick around. Maybe we can convince him to do a one-year prove-it deal, uh, go on a deep playoff run, show your worth, and then cash in one more time next summer. Um, but outside of that, unless the Rangers plan on trading one of the kids, they're going to be bringing back pretty much the same exact roster outside of maybe a couple uh, changes on a fourth line and a bottom pair. So if you're not going to be making changes to this team roster-wise and you're not happy with how they played in seven games – the coach has got to go. Now, to you, 
outside of Panarin, would Lafreniere be the next worst person in this series? I know he didn't score. So here, there's two things about him. His underlying numbers. He's French. <laughs> his underlying numbers. He was the best forward for the Rangers in this series in terms of driving play, suppressing shots, and generating shots for us. Like his numbers were like extremely good. He just didn't score. The issue with Lafreniere, and he plays chippy. In the playoffs, like, there's a lot to like about him. His foot speed just isn't there. He's not going to be the guy that drives play on his line. And f- he's not going to be a franchise forward. He's not going to be Leon Dreisaitl level player. He's going to be a quality top six winger who plays well with a better forward. So if the Rangers want to see what they have in him, and they give him a bridge deal, he has to play with Zibanejad. He has to. He can't play on the third line and no power play time again next year. It's gonna If they bring him back, it's sink or swim time. You're getting first line minutes, you're playing with Mika Zibanejad, and you're going to get power, at least power play two minutes. Show us what you fucking got. And if it's not working by the deadline, then fucking move him. That's fair. Like, at least Heedle showed... Uh, progress. Kako, he struggled this series, but again, it's the Rangers' luck that we get the first overall and the second overall pick, and both guys end up just being fucking two-way grinders. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, I am interested. That's the thing, where I'm like, okay, I was trying to get creative with the Rangers' roster with the salary cap and everything. Um, And I was like, I wonder, like, okay, let's say we're going to... Really, the only guy up front we can trade is Lafreniere. If we're going to make like just a culture change and like kind of put a shock into the system of the guys remaining behind, and I'm like, who? A lot of teams would take a flyer on Lafreniere, but what would we need back? And in my mind, we would need back obviously a guy around similar age, but plays a little bit quicker. That was the one thing the Devils exposed on us was we are slow as fuck as a team. So similar in age, a little bit quicker that can play in a top six, top nine. And I was like, what team has a little bit of cap issues that has guys that might not want to stick around long-term that has one year left on their deal. If you are the GM of this team and I called you up and I was like, one for a one, we're going to break the t- uh, uh, hockey Twitter again. Alexei Lafreniere for Dylan Dubé. Oh, interesting. Okay. You guys get a former first overall pick, three years younger, still on in arbitration years. And if he pops, he pops. We get Dubé, who has one year left in his deal, still only 24, but he plays quicker and he can play all three forward positions, which helps with the versatility with our cap issues. That ain't bad. So that's what I was thinking. I was like, if we make, if we're going to move them, that's what the type of deal we should be making a move for. So, and wow, that's why cool. that I wasn't thinking fucking do it. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> uh, in terms of coaching, I'm I'm at the point in my Ranger fandom where it's been 30 years since the Rangers last won a Stanley Cup. I'm 35 years old. I am tired of not winning. At least you guys had one cup and two other cup appearances. And you're consistently making deep runs. Like, it's a little bit, a little different of a season ender for you guys, typically, than it is for me. I'm ready to sell my soul to the devil. I don't care who it is. Bring me Quenville, man. I want. I'll bring in the Q, man. I want Q. I don't give a shit if we need to bring in Slava Voinov. I want him if he's going to help us win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> like I'll give him all the hookers in New York City to smack around if he's going to help us win a Stanley Cup. Hey, that if whatever it takes, yeah, right? Jesus, and that's the thing because it's the cup. <laughs> and everybody was talking about like on uh, Rangers, like Reddit and Twitter, like. I was browsing who, if we fired Gallant, who's the next coach? And they're talking about 
get one of the assistants from Tampa Bay or Andrew Burnett, who look what he did with Florida, all these things. I'm like, James Dolan is not, he just fired JD and Gordon because he was tired of the rebuild taking too long. He basically forced Drury to go out and get Tarasenko and Kane and go through all those cat shenanigans. He is not going to fire Gallant for an up-and-coming coach. He's going to go for the coach. No, he wants established. And that is Quenville. Or Mikey Babcock. Ooh, bring Babcock back. Uh I'm not a fan of Babcock. Quenville, I think, got a raw deal with the whole Chicago thing. I think he fell on his sword a little bit there to be out this long. Um, guys have done a lot worse in their life that got less than a, less of a ban and he's gotten. That's true. But uh, I think if they do let Gallant go, it's basically going to be Jury going to Quinville and saying, listen, we're going to give you your, your second chance opportunity here to rewrite your legacy. Come win a cup in New York. And then retire. And then retire. So... That's what arranged for that. And I know we'll get into, you know, off-season previews and everything at some point. Um, but hockey's still going on. It, I don't know if you, no, know if you guys over. know that, but the playoffs are continuing without us. <laughs> Season, season's over. <laughs> so second round's actually starting, started tonight. Uh, the NHL does no favors for fans with uh, Game 7 ending the first round on uh, Monday night and then Game t- uh, round two starting the next night. Like, there's no gap between the rounds anymore. Um, but we have Florida and Toronto in the east, and New Jersey and Carolina in the east. And we have uh, Edmonton and Vegas in the west, and the Seattle Kraken and, and the Dallas Stars in the west as well. Where do you want to start with uh, pick and thoughts on any lingering thoughts on the first round for the other teams still going? Well, I guess we'll start right where last night ended. I mean, I like Jersey speed. And as for right now, they're still healthy. Yeah. And with well, that, I know Carolina. <laughs> well, I was going to say he's alive. Oh, my God. Um, but after watching them and the speed that they had, I mean, Carolina is a very fast team, too. So I don't want it to be taken the wrong way. But they're banged up. But it seems banged up big time. I think Jersey has it going on right now in, in a sense of toughness. Carolina is not as tough of a team as you guys were to them. No. In in the sense of rough and rowdy and being able to muck it up. So I think just knowing that I think Jersey's going to have a lot easier of a series that end, which will make them feel a lot more comfortable. And I just think Carolina has too many injuries right now to overcome this current Devils team. So I'm going to go Jersey in six. The only thing I'll add to that is I don't trust Antti Ranta or Freddie Anderson to be able to do what Igor Shosturkin couldn't. Yeah, that's true too, 100%. I agree with pretty much everything you said. It's going to be a much more open series. Carolina can't play the type of shutdown defensive system that the Rangers did. Uh, the first round, I mean, even all four New Jersey wins outside of game seven, they scored at most three goals. So even in their wins, they were kind of bottled up. I don't think Carolina has that ability. Their best defenseman, I mean, Burns is name recognition. Pesci is, I think, their best defenseman. But I don't think they're going to be able to uh, keep up. And Nico Heischer started getting going as the series went on. Um, and he hasn't scored a goal yet, but the Devils just knocked off the Rangers with zero goals from Nico Heischer and Timo Meyer. I don't think they're going to go scoreless in the second round. No, I, I think this is just kind of tip of the iceberg. I, I think it's about to pop off, as they say in the hood. Yeah, and the, the shitty part is, if there were anybody but New Jersey, I would feel good about picking them, but I just hate their fucking fans so much. Outside of Greggy, like... Like, just the, the typical – and they probably say the same thing about Ranger fans too. But going way back in the day, they're still such a fucking Mickey Mouse organization. But I'm going to have to go to New Jersey in five. Five, even quicker. Series, okay. I think it's going to wrap up pretty quick. I do think Schmidt's going to get more exposed in the Carolina series than he was by the Rangers because 
They found out in game six that he's weak glove side. And in game seven, out of, I think, 24 shots on goal, three were to his glove side. So good job, boys. Um, yeah, helping with the exposure. <laughs> Saying in the East, uh, game one tonight, last I checked, Florida was up one nothing in the second period. But the, they are currently up three to two at the end of the second. All right, nice little period there. Um, the surprising Florida Panthers, led by our favorite Matthew Kachuk, versus the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have gotten the 19 year old college student monkey off their back. Ah, uh, who are you going with here? That's the both these. I said if they were. If Toronto somehow beat Tampa Bay, I think they're off to the races because they have all the talent in the world. It was a mental thing with them. And I think... Yeah, I, I agree with that. And to do it against Tampa Bay, the only other team that would have felt even better against is if they knocked you guys off. Um, the fact that they did it against Tampa Bay in overtime, like, I think they're ready to go. I think Florida, their style of play, just like they did to you guys, is the worst possible matchup from the Maple Leafs who are, they just want to gun it. They want to go, go, go. I know they kind of remade their bottom six to have more grinders who are actually able to still skate and play. Looking at you, Wayne Simmons. Um, so I, I don't think it's a, the stereotype of the soft Toronto Maple Leafs I don't think is as true this year as in previous years. The question for me is, can we still trust playoff Bobrovsky to show up again in another underdog series in another series. See, I don't know because even though Florida had won the series, I still don't think Bobrovsky was all that good. Yeah. One good game. I think that was game five and that was it. Yeah. I just, I, I still, I, I have always had kind of that, that sent out for playoff Bob, just not really trustworthy. But on the other end, I mean, I don't really trust, Toronto's goalie either and Samsonov like (laughs) it's like I feel like this series to me is one of the hardest parts like you know throw vendettas away but it's like you know lineup wise like yes Toronto has all the firepower and they had guys going last series which is huge for them coming into this but they also had a very hurt Vasilevsky like Vasilevsky was not the same Vasilevsky he's been okay so now it's like okay we'll put a little dash there not an asterisk just a dash like we'll, we'll see what happens as we go florida's a team that's going to muck it up like you said toronto's not the same pushover team that they used to all right maybe we'll call it a push and toughness <coughs> now is there anything here defensively that you think goes either way either because i i don't either like all right they got riley they got shen okay i, I mean you look the other way i mean Brandon Montour looked like a fucking Norris Trophy winner in the last series. <laughs> to be honest, Aaron Ekblad is their third or fourth best defenseman in the first round. Ekblad was pretty bad in the first round, and they still were able to pull off the upset. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he's playing hurt or what the deal is, but that, if I'm a Panthers fan, one of the seven that exists, I am fucking making out with Brandon Montour next time I see him. Because he's savior. And, and, I, and I tell you what, too. Anytime Sam Bennett was on the ice, I was uncomfortable. Yep, he, 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 Just the, the guy goes out there and he makes fucking plays, man. Yeah. So I think it's this. Is, I think this is the hardest series to predict in the second round. I agree. And that's it. I mean, Florida, before the season started, we had them finishing top three in the division, and then they started off so bad and had to make up so much ground that they basically have been playing with a playoff mentality since December. So I think they're very comfortable with this. Um, I still think Toronto with the monkey off their back, the only like cliche thing is, are they just now happy to be out of the first round? Because they were acting like they won a fucking Stanley Cup. After they won it over. Oh, yeah. Like, that was a really... Mm-hmm. I know it's been a lot of downs, not a lot of ups, a lot of blown series, a lot of Game 7 losses. But to have Dubas and Sheldon Keefe react like that after winning Game seven, uh, game 6 against Tampa, that was concerning to me. 
Oh, I mean, Keith said he blacked out on the bench after they scored. Yeah, like, that's concerning. John Cooper does not black out on a bench. No. <laughs> so I think I'm going to go Florida and seven. I was going to say I'm going Florida and seven. I can. I don't. I just don't think I could ever pick Toronto. And <laughs> I just don't think they have. Even after knocking off Tampa, I still question their fucking mental mentality going into the series. Of like, great, got out of the first round, but can you fucking act like you've been there before? So, and I will say this too: if Toronto is ever going to win a cup, it's this year. This is the year. I mean, that's the other thing about the Rangers losing, them. dude. Boston gets knocked out, Tampa Bay gets knocked out, Colorado is knocked out, and we fucking blow it. Then you're like, it, like I'm saying, like right now the route for them, it, it looks a lot different than it could have. Yeah. And now it's like, if you get past Florida, it's only New Jersey or Carolina waiting on the other end. And I bet that makes you exhale a lot better, yeah. you know. So the thing with Toronto, if it's gonna be a year, it'll be this year. Yeah, and the thing with Toronto, Florida. Florida is Matthew Kachuk's team, and they basically have entered the playoffs with a "fuck you, pay me" mentality. Yeah, and I think and they're playing that way is too. Entering the series of guys, we're in the second round. We're not failures anymore. Yeah. And meanwhile, we won. Meanwhile, Florida's just like, all right, another team. We're gonna fucking uh, shove our shit down their throat. I, I'll say it, that Kachuk, that cocky little fuck, I just. After game five, remember this room, boys. We're going to be yep. back here for seven. Fucking motherfucker. <laughs> what? I just hate his fucking mouth guard, dude. Like, enough. Like, anytime we put the camera on him, on a bench, on the ice, doing uh, intermission interviews, gnawing away on the mouth guard. I'm like, what's the point of even having it? I would have stole it. I'm <laughs> telling you. If I was playing in that series, I would have stole the fucking thing. Luke would have taken it. <laughs> Maybe he's coming back next year, too. <laughs> um, all right, so we have the Eastern Conference Final. The Florida Panthers versus the New Jersey Devils. Who would have had that in December? Yeah. So um, moving out west, well, let's start with Edmonton and Vegas. Uh, I'll kick off the Western Series. Um, Vegas still doesn't scare me, I think. Winnipeg was just, they were just not a cohesive enough unit as evidenced by what happened when the series ended, uh, where Bonus basically said, this team is shit. (laughs) Paraphrasing. And then Blake Wheeler would say, I wish he kept that in a room. I'm sure that's not the first time the head coach has said something similar to you guys in a fucking room all year long, especially once you guys slid, you you slid it on your ass into the playoffs. And the other thing, too, like Bonus said, where it was the same thing in February. We got to the top of the division. Now people came to challenge us, and we had no pushback. Yeah, goes, no fight. Just we don't want it. Nope. So I think Vegas lucked out. I picked Winnipeg to win that series because I was like, dude, like, they're just so talented, and they have the better goaltender. Like They have to be able to turn it around at some point. I, but I think Vegas lucked out with the way Winnipeg was playing and obviously the internal strife that was going on. Um, I mean, you look at Vegas's forward group and you have Barbashev on the first line who was only picked up at the, dead, at the deadline. Brett Howden is your second line left wing. I am not afraid. And you don't, they don't have a legitimate goaltender in my mind still. I am not afraid of the Vegas Golden Knights. So I'm going Edmonton and four. Wow. I'm calling, Look a, I'm calling a fucking sweep. Will it happen? Probably not. Uh, I'm three and five in the first round, <laughs> but at this point, I think McDavid can he he can see it. He can see his path to the Stanley Cup final, and I think him and Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins are just going to carry that defense and Stuart Skinner over to over to finish line into the conference final. See, I, I, this is the one for me that it gets tough because, like you said, I I don't trust Vegas's goaltending currently as well. Um, I do like some of the play that they had in the first round, though, so it makes me think otherwise. But does Vegas have a guy, as the Kings did, that is a Philip Deneau that is going to go and shut down McDavid? No. And that I don't see happening. And the only 
I don't want to say chance because it sounds very uh, one way here, but I, I would say they need somebody to basically get Dreisaitl hurt and get him off the ice because he was <laughs> on the ice for every goal for Edmonton in that series, which is a crazy stat. Now, for whatever reason, I still can't kind of look past it. <coughs> I I don't trust Woodcroft as a coach. Okay. Um, I think Cassidy has the experience and Mark Stone and Jack Eichel have been very good. And to me, I think it's Vegas, but not in four. I'm going Vegas in seven. Okay. I just, something about it. I'm I'm rolling the dice, man. It's just that gut feeling. You got to go with it. Yeah. Um, the other Western series, by the way, before we get into that, the NHL at this point with the teams that are left, right, have to be saying, oh, my God, please have an Edmonton Maple Leaf Stanley Cup final. Like, could you imagine a David I mean, versus Matthews, Toronto versus Edmonton, a Canadian team guaranteed to win the Cup? Like, I know it wouldn't be – typically that would be shit for the U.S. market, but – Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, for NHL, yes, they're drooling. ESPN, not so much. But the U.S. – it's Toronto. It's the Maple Leafs. The Oilers are known in the U.S. because of Gretzky. Like, if that was going to happen, if that's the matchup that happened, if it was Ottawa versus Calgary, there'd be a problem. <laughs> and sp- speaking of uh, Edmonton, did you hear that great clip from Keith Yandel about Gretzky? Oh, when he's like, okay, maybe next time. Hey, hey uh, do you know who I am or something? <laughs> yeah, it was like, uh, hey, they said uh, Yans was very young. Uh, he got scratched for a game. He said Gretzky's out there, and he's doing, like, the uh, two-on-O's with him. So he said, Jens comes in, he has the puck, he has Gretzky over there, and Gretzky's, you know, opening up, waiting to clap one, and Jens says he looks him off twice, and he shoots the puck, <laughs> and they go to the corner, and he goes, hey, uh, did you have a TV going oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, puck next, time. Time. <laughs> yeah next time, slide that puck over. I'm like, that's... That's fucking great. Like, that's incredible. <laughs> Yandel needs to be on TV more. Oh, I mean, j- just his sarcasm is meant for that round table when everyone's being so serious and Biz is over there fucking stroking his foreskin that was cut off yeah. and now it's back on to the Maple Leafs. Like, y- you need Yans there to kind of loosen him up a little bit or bring him back in. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Biz is happy the Rangers got knocked out. Um, yeah. The last matchup we get into, the surprising Seattle Kraken, knocking off the defending Stanley Cup champs, going against the Dallas Stars. Um, these are two teams that you didn't think would make the second round. I went out on a limb like I think you were doing with the Vegas pick. Um, where do you see Seattle-Dallas uh, going down here in terms of this Dallas – I mean, that's the thing. I'll let you get into it, but they just talked about Colorado. So is Seattle scared of the discrepancy with Dallas? No, they're not. And the biggest thing with Seattle that I saw in that Colorado series is through and through, they played as a team. That They looked at each other across the room. They were getting goal. I think they had 13 different goal scorers in the series. Legitimately, this is a team that is all bought in does not care who's on the other side outside of Jared McCann, who is missing games one and two, they've stayed healthy and they have Grubauer. Who's currently playing out of his mind. Yeah. We even said before the first round started, which Grubauer is going to show up. Well, the good one did. (laughs) And if the good one can show up for the second round, I'm going to take the Kraken in six. Nice. All right. So I picked Seattle in the first round. That's the thing with the Kraken, where even last year with the expansion draft, their first year, their strength was built from the net out. Um, their forward group didn't seem to be that strong. And now Jared McCann has basically found another gear with the opportunity in Seattle. Um, I, I still, it's like the same thing with Borowski. Grubauer is just as likely to have a bad series as he is to have a good one. I feel like I know when I'm going to get Nottinger. 
I know you don't like to coach. <laughs> um, I think the way Dallas plays and the guys that they have in a room, I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult to handle, especially since I don't think anybody in their top six is going to have to take a leaf of absence because of a drunk woman in their hotel room like Nishuskin had to do. Um, I just think the combination of like Jamie Benn and Mason Marchman are kind of dominate physically in the offensive zone in the series. Um, and then you have Hiskin in the back end, like I said, Andre and goal. I just think after a emotional seven game upset over Colorado, that it might be a little too much to ask to then do another, not as big of an upset, but another long series upset against a team that is specifically built to win now. So I'm going to go Dallas and six. All right. So again, another series with great unis, Dallas and Seattle here. Um, so Western Conference Final, I have Dallas versus Edmonton, kind of a throwback to the late late nineties. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Vegas versus Seattle, two expansion teams, the two newest teams in the league, playing there for a chance to go to the Cup Final. Vegas already been there a couple of years ago. So, all right, let's play this out. Let's say everybody's healthy. No major changes in terms of like, oh, this guy fell off the map here. Vegas versus Seattle, who's going to the Cup? My gut would tell me Vegas due to the firepower. But like I said, I think with Seattle, there is a very strong team mentality where they're just going to get it from someone. So I would go to the Kraken, we'll go to the Cup. Jesus, Seattle would fucking lose their mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then out east, we both have New Jersey versus Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to New Jersey to the cup final. I agree. So it would be – I would have – and my Western Conference final is Edmonton versus Dallas. I would have Dallas beating Edmonton, unfortunately, for the league. Oh, suck it, McDavid. Yeah, unfortunately for the league. Um, so my cup final would be a rematch of the 2000 Stanley Cup final. Well – yeah, 2000 is like a final. New Jersey Devils versus the Dallas Stars. I like that. So, all right. Well, that's our second round predictions. We talked about the, we did a post mortem of the Bruins and the Rangers. We'll have a lot more to say uh, as we get through the playoffs and then enter our full on offseason mode. Um, as a, Rangers fan who had recently lost my franchise guy, the last guy that I can grow up, I can look at, at and say, I grew up watching him because Hank made his debut when we were still, we were freshmen in college. So we were still young enough to be able to be like, I look up to that guy. I hope Bergeron comes back next year for one more year uh, for your sake, just so you get to see one more ride with him. Yeah, like I said, I just that that cannot be my last view of Patrice Bergeron in a Bruins jersey. Yeah. I can't do it. But all right, outside of that, we'll come back midway point of these series to kind of catch everybody up on what's happened so far, what adjustments are, need to be made, and kind of where we see the rest of the series going. But besides that, we're halfway through, pretty much. It's not like a playoffs. We're halfway there. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, unfortunately, you're not going to get extreme insight as we would get you from the locker room of certain teams, but we're going to try our best to get you the uh, the best out of the other teams. The best out of us. This is best out of us, yes. <laughs> you're the best around. I'm killing it today. <laughs> All right, everybody. We will catch you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>